Audi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and happy Christmas and welcome to another big travel podcast Christmas special. Ta-da! I'm Lisa Francesca Nand, in case you didn't know. Uh, and I don't know about you, but to me, it's been the quickest year, I think, on record. I don't know how they record that, but that's my personal take on it. It started off, it wasn't great last Christmas. Christmas was essentially cancelled. I couldn't see my family and friends in Spain. A lot of us, a lot of us were, were separated from the people and indeed places we love. And then for me and most of us here in the UK, we then had three months of lockdown where the schools were closed and the bars and restaurants were closed. So not only could we not travel, we couldn't really do anything here apart from, well, I spent long term in the bus actually feeling very sorry for myself and letting the kids go feral and the only thing I could do was go for very long walks around Brighton because we couldn't really go anywhere or do anything so I got to explore being back living in Brighton I've been here a full year and a bit now and I'm really enjoying it um one of the things I've been doing a lot more I haven't been traveling that much I've been to Spain twice this year and also Berlin and that's all I've been able to do uh, due to the various travel restrictions um but I do have some big plans at least six destinations to go to next year in 2022 so I'm hoping that this will um, this will come off I'm sure lots of us are hoping uh, travel plans and hopes and dreams will come off one thing I have been doing more of in terms of the podcasting because you know I've had no choice is remote recording Um, so I still prefer face-to-face if I'm honest I really enjoy the flow of conversation when I sit next to someone I can almost feel it between us it's almost like a I almost physically see it like a ball passing between us. But it's been lovely to have access to people who are in different places, for example. So let's kick off the Big Travel Podcast Christmas special with these wonderful authors. Anne Seba, who wrote a book called Le Parisienne, about a, uh, the story about how women in Paris dealt with their lives during the Second World War. Now, this is a book that I've absolutely been obsessed with and I often talk about on the podcast because I am very much obsessed with your Europe in the Second World War, to a certain extent in the First World War as well, but more in the Second World War. You know, everyone has like a, a period of history that they're obsessed with, but well, that is one of mine. And this book was brilliant and I talked about it an awful lot. And then suddenly I thought, you know what, I could ask her to be on the podcast. So ask her, I did. And as an historian and author and journalist, Christmas for Anne is a reminder of a key event in British history. Hi, my name's Anne Seba. I'm a journalist, author, biographer, historian. I never quite know how to describe myself. And when I think of Christmas, I think of the abdication story because actually that was Baldwin's masterstroke. 
Baldwin recognized that he could not send his MPs back home at Christmas without the abdication being resolved. And so he wrote to all the dominions in early December and asked them, will you accept this American twice divorced woman as queen? And they all wrote back and said, Queen Wally is not acceptable to us. And that really decided it because Edward VIII realized that he could not be responsible for breaking up the empire, which is what would have happened. So he abdicated instead in mid-December. And Christmas really provided the solution to the whole abdication crisis. Our second author of this episode is Satnam Sangera. Now, his star has been rising ever so high this year. He wrote the wonderful book, Empire Land, How Imperialism Has Shaped Modern Britain, and published that this year. And also his Channel 4 documentary series about race called Empire State of Mind. Both of those things have been absolutely brilliant. If you haven't sought him out, I suggest you do so. For him, Christmas on his own, researching a book ended up being a really bad experience. I'm Sangera. I'm a writer and a journalist. And this is a Christmas memory. Um, I remember one Christmas, even though we normally have very intense family Christmases and quite traditional ones, I was writing a novel where there was a scene where a character had to spend Christmas in a restaurant by herself. So I took myself and a friend off to a hotel where they served, I think, 500 people a Christmas lunch. And I always wondered what these things are like, because sometimes you can go for a curry on Christmas Day. And um, it was quite bleak. Oh, so you're basically in a huge restaurant. It's like being at a wedding on Christmas Day. And there's all these strangers. I mean, I guess I associate Christmas being very cosy and only being with people you know. But to, to be with so many strangers felt odd. Our third author is the wonderful Lisa Jewell, who quite unusually for a child growing up in the UK in the 70s and 80s, spent most of her childhood Christmases in Barbados. Hi, I am Lisa Jewell. It's lovely to be here today. Um, I wanted to talk to you about a, uh, a very powerful Christmas memory, actually, attached to um, my travel throughout my life as, as a child. Um, my father had lots and lots of friends in Barbados, of all places. He had a, a very long relationship with a woman from Barbados um, just before he met my mother. Um, she actually lived in Barbados. And so he spent all his holidays with her and her family and her friends in Barbados. And even after they split up, he still remained friends with all those people on the island. Um, and so he would take us to Barbados nearly every Christmas for for a Christmas holiday, which is quite a strange thing um, for an English child to, to be doing. Um, and I think one of my strongest um, memories of being in Barbados for Christmas is um, being tucked up in bed by a babysitter after my parents had got all dressed up uh, and left us to go to a party with their friends and being tucked up in bed when I was about eight years old by a babysitter and hearing Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, playing in the background. Just a really powerful memory of being a child at that time of year in a, in a foreign land. Christmas for many of us can be a cold affair, and I mean literally in that sense with the weather, but one can get no colder than Christmas for our next guest, Jamie Douglas Hamilton, who arrived in Antarctica on Christmas Day, having rode all his way there. Christmas, 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 Christmas
So I'm Jamie Douglas Hamilton and last year we completed the Impossible Row where on Christmas Day we landed in Antarctica to 12 days of rowing and at that time we had an audience of a few thousand penguins when we finally arrived. It was just the most unbelievable endorphin and adrenaline high after so much fear, so much suffering, so much weight loss, so much coldness and suddenly you're there and it's a realisation it's over and you've done it. You almost wake up, you know, from being in this very focused state, then you realise you've done it and you can wake up and, and it, was, it was amazing. It was, it was all a very, very emotional time. I actually worked out during this time what time it was because I knew if it was on this Queen's speech, no one would answer the phone. So I made sure it was half an hour before the Queen's speech. <laughs> and I called the satellite phone. And, uh, and luckily, uh, yeah, I managed to speak, to speak to the family. And Dad had been told that the most dangerous part of any ocean is below South America and to South America. And so he was very worried about it. And so when I finally told him, he slumps back in his chair and the phone over and goes, thank God. <laughs> and it was just that huge sigh of relief that uh, that had finally happened, you know, and it was done. Uh, we had a pretty good Christmas dinner, actually. We had, um, we had, they, they, they had steaks for us that they'd, they'd taken in case we did succeed. And, uh, and yeah, so we had a steak dinner and, I remember feeling I could have had two to three of those. Um, just because you're so hungry. You, know, you, you burn so many calories. Um, but it was, it was so, just to get nice, you know, proper food again was if, if probably, if I was to have a steak now, it probably wouldn't be that good. But right back then, it was the best steak I've ever had in my life. Just because you're so hungry. For more chilly weather at this time of year, but fewer penguins, New York City has always seemed to me to be a place of magical Christmases. And I don't know whether that's because you see it so much in the movies. I've actually been to New York just before Christmas and it was freezing. Less magical, mainly just freezing, but it is depicted in the movies as this wonderful magical place. And indeed, our next guest, Matt Ford, has experienced this many times. I'm Matt Ford. And my Christmas memory of New York, I mean, I have so many. And obviously it lends itself to Christmas. And, and there are films in which, you know, like Home Alone 2, where it's a very festive place to be. We started going, the first time we went, we went to this bar called Foley's, which is near Empire State. And it's this amazing Irish-American sports bar. And it's got like a baseball bat for a handle. And inside, it's just got these walls of signed baseballs and like football shirts from all over the world and sports stuff. And people who go there take their shirts and they hang it up for you and stuff. And like the seats from the old Yankee Stadium and just this amazing place. And it does like amazing food, like a hundred different burgers and stuff. And they're all massive. And it's just such a, you feel like, oh man, I feel like you almost like can fantasize and believe that you live there when you're there. You're like, oh, I'm a New Yorker. I got a folders and stuff. And, um, the reason we went in, we're walking down the street and you could hear sports commentary. I, don't, I said, that's, that's the BBC. You could hear, the, it was British. And I can't remember who the commentator was. I think it was Motson. I was like, what? So we go into this place and they're showing English football, not, but not like Fox Sports, BBC. So we had a few beers. I said, can I ask why you're not showing like American coverage of British? I get why you're showing that, but why is it... And the guy was like, um, 
Yeah, if we uh, if we have the American commentary, people don't take it seriously. People who love the Premier League, they have to hear the English commentary because the American guys don't know Jack. Right. So if we want to get people in, we have to play the British commentary. I was like, what? And then the last time we won, it's one of those things where you think, did we slightly misremember that? We went to like a few bars to watch a couple of games. And there are people there, like old blokes, right? like Arsenal scarves, American. Yeah, I agree with Danny Murphy. I think Arsenal are weak at the back. You're like, how do you know who Danny? This is surreal. But there are bars all over New York that have like a real knowledge now of English football. So the last time we went, we're like, oh, we should take shirts and hang them up and then we've got this sort of uh, there's a bit of us at Foley's forever so I took a Forest shirt my friend John is a Leeds fan we've got the photos that hung it up for us and stuff and then one of the girls who worked there recognised John she was like oh you're a comedian and uh, they're like oh you should sign a baseball as well so then like our baseball is like you know it's in there with like all these incredible sports people and then like Tom Hanks and Morgan Freeman Um, so there's a what's really you know just the thought that there's a little bit of us there in New York and that, you know, who knows since we've been, someone might go, Oh, that's a Nottingham Forest shirt. And just, you know, the thought that we've left something there is really, really cool. Um, so that was very special. That was a very cool Christmas thing to go back years later, take those shirts and, and have them hung up. And uh, next Christmas when I go, I'll hopefully go back and see it. Somebody else who spent Christmas in America a few times is the podcaster and radio presenter Ollie Mann. As a child, Ollie was a little bit disappointed in his Christmas presents. One Christmas in LA. Hi, I'm Ollie Mann, host of the podcast The Retrospectors and The Modern Man, M-A-N-N. And uh, when I think of travel at Christmas, I am taken back to a particular experience in 1988. So I was seven years old. And we went to, it was amazing, actually, amazing holiday. Now I think about it. We went to Beverly Hills. Uh, Christmas was always a big deal with my parents and always involved travel because my mum's birthday is New Year's Eve. And that's a really crap time to have a birthday. If your birthday's New Year's Eve, everyone goes out and gets drunk on your birthday, but it's not for your birthday. So to escape that, my parents always took us away. And so anyway, we were in Los Angeles and we were staying in the Beverly Hilton And I was so excited, not just because I got to go to Disneyland, but also because there was the Disney Channel in my bedroom. And I spent at least half my day watching the Disney Channel because that was exciting (laughs) instead of experiencing uh, LA. Anyway, we went to Universal Studios, which also completely blew my mind. I didn't even know it existed, obviously, because I was a child. And I loved it. And I got a bunch of souvenirs from Universal Studios Hollywood. But then on Christmas Day... Santa deposited a bag of gifts for me. I mean, obviously there wasn't a fireplace in my room and there wasn't a place to put a stocking, um, but he deposited a bag very generously of gifts at the bottom of my bed. And some of them were all the kind of things I wanted, whatever the 1987 equivalent of a yo-yo was, I can't remember, uh, probably something with a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on it. But some of them had come from Universal Studios Hollywood. There was like a mug that was branded Universal Studios Hollywood. There was maybe a mouse mat that was branded Universal Studios Hollywood. And I was like, isn't it a coincidence that Father Christmas either knows that I liked this stuff when we were in the gift shop or has been shopping in the same theme park that I've just been to with my family? What a bizarre coincidence. 
<laughs> Were you thinking back to the uh, to the being in the gift shop and thinking I didn't see a man in a red suit <laughs> hiding behind the shelves looking at me, um, which sounds a bit like sort of threatening anyway. You know, <laughs> but it was worth it because it was a great Christmas, and all of those Christmases in the states were great. So even when my parents wanted to fob me off because they wanted to go to a New Year's Eve party because it was my mum's birthday, they'd find some like kids club thing which was obviously so much better because it was America than anything that we do here. Ridiculously over-enthusiastic, you know, hotel uh, employees managing to prompt us into a series of activities. I got to play my first Game Boy in Los Angeles at Christmas time. Very vividly remember that. And also it was about the time in the late 80s, like America was the coolest place on the planet, wasn't yeah, it, for a kid? And I was a kid at the time. And it was it was full of fluorescent yellow chewing gum and basketball and good artists and bands coming out of there and skateboards and coca-cola that'd just be like the best place in the world to be at that end that was before we knew it was like sort of you know really there was the gun crime and that you know the bad stuff we did that they didn't export that at that point they kept it quiet <laughs> and they they mythologized their poverty as well so like even the stuff that to americans didn't seem glamorous you know I, being a child of that era watching those spielberg movies for example et is the one that sprites, springs to mind even just like actually quite tedious and sort of difficult single mother suburban life seemed glamorous and cool going to a walmart seemed exciting because i'd seen it in a film and actually that never left me until trump got elected i, I felt that way i was a member of costco for example and I, felt I used to go to Costco and like buy huge vats of popcorn or whatever and feel like I was living the American dream. I felt that way about the United States until they elected Trump. I genuinely felt that way until then. And that was it really, I think it was one of the reasons that I found that whole period so difficult. I'm not, I mean, not least because they were sort of subverting everything we know about journalistic truth, but also because there was just this feeling that, oh, oh, it's not, it's not a place that I'd feel entirely comfortable in all the time. And it really found it very difficult. It brought it to light, didn't it? I can fully relate to that. I remember saying this at the time. It was uh, not like a, after a while he'd been in a couple of years and it wasn't about America, make America great again. It was make America cool again. I mean, shit, what happened to America, you know? Mm. Um, I, I think that's a lovely way to end our Christmas special. You know, bit of, uh, bit, <laughs> bit of gun crime, bit of yeah. happy Christmas, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, there is one thing I want to pick up on there just before I let you go. Mm. When Trump came in, did you let your Costco membership go? I did, yeah. Did you? I that just didn't is, want it anymore. That is making a stand, isn't it? That is like at the political my small dirty protest. Yes, that's it. And now Trump's not not in power. Are you have you reignited your Costco membership? I did, but um, actually, <laughs> that was in, in the tail end of Trump's presidencies. It wasn't to be clear. It wasn't a protest against Trump's presidency. It was just an emotional yeah. reaction to all this Americana. I was like, I don't want this. I don't want to buy into this lifestyle now. I mean, that's what branding is, isn't it? But then uh, what happened is, you, do you remember that period um, in sort of August 2020 when everyone sensed that a second or third wave of coronavirus was about to hit us, so we better fill up our pantry? So living not too far from a Costco, it was just the obvious place to go to go and buy enough <laughs> pasta to live on if the apocalypse game so that's that's why i joined again Farouz Farman Farmayan, our last official guest of the year, is a fascinating and very cultured character who's lived and travelled all over the world. In fact, when I interviewed him from his new base in Athens, sadly for me it was just in a remote interview from my living room and it was just him that was in Athens, he did mention that I should go and see him and his wife when they exhibit at the Venice Biennale in 2022. So this is one of the places I have mentally added to my list. Be careful with me like that. 
I'm the sort of person, if you say, you should come and visit me in Sozo, I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to say yes to everything I can, especially uh, after the pandemic experience. I, um, I think many of us want to just embrace these things as much as we can. So hopefully I'll be going to see Farouz and his wife in Venice. Anyway, Farouz loves visiting his Persian father at Christmas in his rather wonderful sounding house in Marrakesh. Greetings, uh, I am Firuz Farwan Farmayan, contemporary artist, uh, curator, multidisciplinary artist, and uh, a musician. I'm based south of Spain, but work internationally. My idea of an original Christmas is spending it with my father uh, in Marrakesh, him being uh, a Muslim Sufi, me being educated as a Catholic uh, into a hybrid form of celebration. We do have a tree, but at the same time, uh, we don't uh, celebrate uh, exactly the birth of Jesus. We just celebrate it as a family reunion. What is also uh, fantastic is that uh, we are able to be together around a family table and very incredibly have a blend of traditional Christmas food and Persian food, which I haven't seen anywhere. My father's house is, was built by my grandfather, that's a Persian architect, uh, but a modernist. So it has a very traditional construct to it, but at the same time has a very modern lines. Uh, set um, in the Palmeret of Marrakesh, uh, with beautiful orange walls and a, and a very nice terrace. And a lot of animals, we've, we've got dogs and, and more. It, it's called Al-Ferdos, meaning in Arabic, the wise one. And uh, my father moved there in the 1990s. And we, we, we have the, have to say, the, the, the luck to have a very nice family moment. As I said earlier, I have been enjoying exploring closer quarters this year, reacquainting myself with Brighton and its surrounds. And indeed, that's something I really love doing. I always say that we don't have to travel far and wide to be explorers. There's so much to see in our own backyard. And the pandemic has uh, definitely helped bring that home to many of us, mainly because we've had no choice. But still, I was lucky enough to have three guests pop round to mine for a chat face to face. And like I said, I do enjoy that face to face vibe you get. The first of which is Sam Mc- Manners from Yellowwood Adventures, making his second appearance on the Big Travel Podcast. Sam got stuck. Yes big inverted commas around that one, in Costa Rica for the first part of the pandemic. And then by Christmas again was stuck in northern Spain. Hi, I'm Sam McManus, the founder of Yellowwood Adventures, adventure travel company. So my Christmas this year, 2021, I was living in the Picas de Europa in northern Spain. And I'd been living in a tiny, tiny Pueblo for about five months. I was writing, well, editing a book of all my travel experiences. And as obviously you get to know the people in the village, it was a very, very small rural community, but full of lovely people. I'd bought flights back to the UK to spend it with my parents and sister, but I just didn't get on the flight. I could have got to the UK, but it was still just when it was the English variant, it was called. And I just knew I would have got stuck there and I just didn't want to leave my Spanish life behind. And so I, I didn't get on the flight and then I was just sort of stuck in this tiny little Pueblo and my next door neighbours invited me in. And if you can just think of being in a tiny, tiny village with cowbells uh, and cows in the fields and horses, and then but just at the foot of these 2,000 metre, beautiful, heavily snow-capped mountains... And they invited me in for Christmas and we had absolutely beautiful food, seafood paella for Christmas, lots of wine, lots of local liqueurs and cider. 
People were singing songs. There were kids running around. I uh, play the Irish fiddle for my for my sins. So I was playing Irish fiddle songs, and it was just that sort of ancient feeling of fiesta of Spain that you only really know it if you've experienced it. And I was just so privileged to be welcomed into their into their home. And then I went back and spent Easter with them as well. And, and we're still really good friends. I'm going to send them a big uh, Christmas parcel for the next Christmas. The second person who popped around to my house was actually someone I went to school with in southern Spain. But he's gone on to be a very successful festival promoter of the Into the Wild festivals. We had a lovely chat around my kitchen table about how our rather feral childhoods in Andalusia in the 80s shaped who we became. One of Hugh Wynn's best travel Christmas memories was in Thailand. Hi, I'm Hugh Wynn. I run Into the Wild festivals and a project called Wilderlands. For Christmas, I haven't been there for Christmas, but I went for New Year, is an incredible um, tiny little island in the Malay Straits in Thailand called Koh Kradan. It has the most incredible coral reefs and they're straight off the beach. And there's a beautiful little Italian restaurant there. There's not many restaurants, maybe three or four. And it's run by this old Italian guy who is married to a Thai woman and his mum and her mum do the cooking. So if you want like the most amazing mozzarella and Italian food while going, you know, um, snorkeling or Thai food, that is the place. But just up from there as well, while you're, whilst you're there, is the most incredible national park called Khao Sok. It's one of the oldest... Um, rainforests in the world and they have these incredible cabins out on this huge turquoise um, lake and it's surrounded by um, howling monkeys there's tigers in the jungle there's wild elephants it's it's the most magnificent place and the third person who popped around to mine is a guest you haven't heard yet, as I'm still editing the episode. Rebecca and I actually spoke for two hours and I've got to find a way to A, cut it down, but also re-interview her for the stuff that we missed. But it's worth it because she is fantastic. I first met Nobel Prize winner Rebecca Johnson in the sea down here in Hove. Yes, a Nobel Prize winner living two minutes away. I had to pounce on her and ask her for an interview and she very gracefully said yes and came round to my house. Rebecca has dedicated her life's work to campaigning for nuclear disarmament and was one of the now very well-known women of Greenham Common. I cannot wait for you to hear her whole interview as she has some incredible stories. She grew up in a Hutterite community, living in a, a very tight-knit community, almost like the Amish in the States and, uh, and also just down the coast here. But here is a small taste of what it was like to spend a cold Christmas campaigning to help prevent a nuclear war. I'm Rebecca Johnson, and my most memorable Christmas has got to be the Christmas of 1982 at Greenham Common. We had so many visitors come and bringing us food, but at the same time, we had just begun to talk about an action that we were planning for New Year's Day of 1983 that Eleanor, one of the Greenham women, had seen that there was a particular place where we could go in and only have to get over one fence and we could then go to the silos that were still being built. And we started to dream of that action on Christmas Day and I went with Eleanor and another woman, Kerry, 
to go and look at where Eleanor was talking about. And we planned that. And then we said, well, then we've got to start telling other women. So we, first of all, told the women there at the gate and we chose a place that we thought would be too far away for the directional microphones. We started to talk about it, but we also started to send the message out using all our different kind of well, phone calls, really, you know. And women started to come deliberately to Greenham saying, I want to know about the plan. And that was that Christmas that started on Christmas Day and went into New Year's Day. And it was so magical because we really did believe that we could stop the cruise missiles and that that would be a turning point and we would see in our lifetimes the complete banning and elimination of nuclear weapons. That's what we talked about. And it was magic. Thank you so much for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. You know, we've had a good year despite the uh, pandemic. We've had a lot of um, great guests and we're still doing really well with listeners. The podcast gets a mention a lot on national TV and radio here in the UK. And we've been very lucky to be featured in several top 10 podcasts or top 15 podcasts in the national press. So thank you so much for continuing to stay with us. And also please recommend us to your friends and family because we just love acquiring new listeners this is all we do it for we do it for you and when I say we I mean me and my friend Alex George who is editing the podcast for me it's a team effort and I couldn't do it without him for the new year for 2022 we have something different lined up you might remember way back in the early days of the podcast I used to release an episode weekly well we are going to try and reinstate that vigorous energetic process and we will hopefully be producing and releasing more episodes and more frequently so thank you again so much happy christmas can we have some bells or something please alex thank you very much take care lots of love have a wonderful time speak to you soon Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. (laughs) To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.